Hello, friends. This is Dave Lorenzo. We've got something special for you on this edition of the Do This, Sell More show. Today, our interview is with me. You see, I'm going to share with you an interview I did years ago with the host of the Business Insider show, Jackie Bales, and she interviews me about building a professional practice and getting home on time for dinner every night. Sit back and relax and enjoy this interview with me and Jackie Bales right now. Hi, this is Jackie Bales, and I want to welcome you to a very special edition of the Business Intensity interview series. You know, all of us at one time or another in our lives need the services of an attorney, a CPA, or some type of independent professional. We turn to these folks when we face a critical problem or have an immediate need for help. Yet, in spite of the constant need for their services, most attorneys, accountants, and consultants have a difficult time building a business while maintaining a normal and natural schedule in their lives. The American Bar Association conducted a survey of their members, and the top two challenges of attorneys in private practice were finding new clients and maintaining a work-life balance. The Florida Bar, in a study done last year, reported that close to 60% of all attorneys struggled with new business origination, balancing life and work, and managing their time. A study conducted by the leading website for accountants found that the average work week for U.S. accountants, May through December, was 55 hours. And in tax season, that average work week jumps a full 10 hours to 65 hours. To make matters worse, that same study has the average billing per client for accountants at less than 1000 per case. And if you're thinking that consulting is much better, Consulting Magazine reports that the average consultant is on the road between four and five days each week, and the average time in position for a consultant is less than three years. The number one reason cited for leaving is excessive travel and hours worked. So where do these folks, the people we turn to to solve our problems, where do they turn when they face issues? Tough issues like client acquisition and work-life balance. Our guest today is Dave Lorenzo, the person that more attorneys, accountants, and consultants turn to when they need assistance, particularly when they need to build up a base of clients in a sensible way, one that doesn't require them to kill themselves by working an enormous amount of hours or traveling five days a week. Dave has been called the consultant's consultant because of his unique ability to help professional service firms acquire new clients quickly and deepen the relationship they have with existing clients. He has built several successful professional service businesses and he currently works with a select group of clients to help them make more money with less effort. Now, if that sounds good to you, you're going to want to pay close attention to what our guest has to say because he has some great insight into building a business effectively and efficiently. One of the things that's going to be particularly powerful is Dave's concept of a fake business, which is one that is frustrating, annoying, killing you slowly, and exhausting versus a free business, which is fun, rewarding, easy, and engaging. Dave's going to share with us just how to make the transition in your law firm or your CPA practice or, or really in any business 
from a fake business into a free business. And since I know that everyone who's listening is excited to hear all about this, it gives me great pleasure to welcome Dave Lorenzo into our studio. Welcome, Dave. Thanks, Jackie. It's great to be with you. You know, I love those acronyms, free business versus fake business. How did you come up with those? Well, we believe that there should be more to professional services than killing yourself for 50 to 60 hours a week just to pay the bills. Just think about the average associate in a law firm. He probably just graduated from law school and he's got somewhere between 50 and $100,000 in student loans and he takes a job at a big firm. So he works his butt off for five to 10 years. Maybe he changes firms a couple of times and he finally makes partner. And by now he's got a couple of kids who he sees on Sundays. Mm -hmm. And he's probably about 15 to 20 pounds overweight because he's always eating takeout food in the office. And he's got a cup of coffee in one hand and one of those energy drinks permanently stuck to the other because he's always tired and he needs to stay alert. He's got to meet the client, or he's got to visit the client, or he's got to talk to the client on the phone. He's got to bill those hours. Then finally, in his mid-30s, or maybe his mid-40s, he realizes that he's got high blood pressure, he's missing his kids growing up, and his wife is leaving him, and all he's got to show for it is some plaques on the wall and a waistline in inches that equals his age. Ooh. Dave, that is not a pretty picture. No, no, it really isn't. But that's the kind of story I hear all the time from people in the law, in accounting, in consulting, in just about all of professional services. In fact, that's the story that I lived. I was that guy. So if this resonates with you, believe me, I feel your pain. (laughs) I know what it's like. You feel like you need to pay your dues for years and years, and then one day you wake up and you're divorced or you're in a crummy relationship mostly because you're not around and your health has gone to hell and you have nothing or very little to show for all your efforts. But the story doesn't end there. In some cases, this guy or woman, this happens to women too, but I use guy because it's easier than switching back and forth between genders. This guy decides that he's had enough. So he goes out and he starts his own practice. Mm -hmm. So if you're that guy, I'm with you. I've been there too. So you've decided to start your own practice you believe that surely that must be the answer. You go out and you get a decent office. Pretty nice. You hook up a phone line. You place a really nice ad in the Yellow Pages and you put up a website. It looks great. You hang your shingle on the wall and then you wait. And you wait and you wait. You check the phone occasionally to make sure it's working. You know, you pick it up, hear the dial tone. The phone doesn't ring. Then you run into someone you know at the store and they tell you about one of these networking groups. So you go to a networking meeting, you join your chamber of commerce, you practice a giving philosophy by giving some business to the local folks in town, and you're hoping that they will return the favor. The next thing you know, you're back in debt again, and all you've got to show for it is your spouse complaining because there are bills to pay and you have no money. Now, Jackie, this is the point where I usually meet most of these folks. This is the point where they come to me because they feel like they're at the end of the line. They're trying to decide if they should go back out and get a job in a big practice or if they should go to work in a company somewhere. But this is the point where the pain is great enough that they're finally willing to admit that they need some help. This is where they reach out and say, I want to take back control of my life and my work. I want to control my own destiny. I need help. Mm. The sad part is that some of them never get there. Some of them wind up divorced a couple of times. They wind up having all sorts of stress-related health problems, and they wind up with huge mountains of debt. Yeah, they may drive a Mercedes or a Porsche, but they have massive lease payments, and they pay for their dry cleaning and their groceries by really running up their credit card debt. 
Wow. Well, but surely they're not all like that. Oh, no, no. Some of them die before they get to that point. What? <laughs> <laughs> no. Seriously. Health issues including incidences of heart disease, diabetes, high blood pressure, and other serious chronic health issues are much higher among professionals who work long hours and stressful jobs like these guys do. I know because I've lived that life. I've been that guy, and it's absolutely terrible. I'm here to tell you that, that, believe me, there is a better way. Thank goodness. There's a better way to have a multi-million dollar practice. You can do it while you raise your kids. You can do it while you have a great family life. You can do it while you take care of your health. You can have fun at work. Remember fun? Most of these folks left fun back in college. Huh. You know, I, I, it's funny. I had one guy tell me just the other day, he said, there's a reason they call it work. If it was meant to be fun, they would call it something else. And this was a senior guy at a big law firm. He doesn't get it. And many of them don't get it. They really don't. You can build a really profitable business. I mean a firm that produces financial freedom, and you can do it while you work as many or as few hours as you'd like. It's completely possible. I've done it. I teach other consultants, CPAs, and especially attorneys to do it. I teach them to do it every single day. Wow. Okay. Now, you know, you mentioned fun, and you said that you were this guy, this fat, stressed-out guy working all these hours. <laughs> yeah, well, who said you were him? <laughs> were you? Really? <laughs> yeah, I, believe it or not, I was. But I see you now, and you look so relaxed. You have such passion, and clearly you're enjoying what you do. So when did it hit you that you could be the guy who has fun and makes a great living all at the same time? And when did you know that you could be free or, or create you know, your whole free concept. Did it come from, from you actually being free to do what you want? Yeah, it really did. Um, let me say that I always knew it was possible. In the back of my mind, I always knew that having fun at work was important, even when I was that fat, stressed out guy. I knew having fun was necessary in order to have a truly successful career. You know, it, it really goes back to when I was a bellman carrying bags for guests at a hotel where I worked. I ended up helping a guy out in the parking lot change a flat tire on his car. And while we were working on the tire, we were having a conversation. Now, this gentleman was a real estate developer, and he asked me how I liked being a bellman. And I said I enjoyed talking to the different guests and hearing their stories. I said that it was really fun. Also, I said that I was only doing this for a little while while I figured out what I wanted to be when I grew up. Then he told me something, and, and it really resonated with me. He told me that he had made more money than he could ever spend in his lifetime, and that fun was the key to making a ridiculous, and he actually used that word, and believe it or not, I, I still use it today with my clients for emphasis, that fun was the key to making a ridiculous amount of money. He told me to find something that I enjoyed and spend the rest of my life getting good at it. He said that if I did that, then it would never seem like work. That was the first great piece of advice that I received from someone about my career. Now, I forgot that for a while, and it took some extreme events to make me think back to that point and remember why I got into business in the first place. Now, when I think about that conversation, I constantly remember what that real estate investor told me. And now I live by the motto, if it ain't fun, then I'm done. Huh. If it ain't fun, then I'm done. Yeah, that's it. I, I like that, 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 really is, that really is the essence of success at work. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to quit your job if you're not having fun now. If something was fun for you at one time and then it stopped being fun, there has to be a reason. If you can find a way to make it fun again, if you can restructure the job or your business or your practice to make it as fun as it was in the beginning, then you can get back on track. Right. Makes sense. 
So that's where the fun part of the free business model, the model you talked about in your intro, a free business versus a fake business, that idea is where we get the fun part. So the F in the free business model stands for fun. Because in order to be successful and maintain a healthy life and disposition, you have to enjoy what you do. Now the R, the R stands for rewarding. Rewarding work is something that I learned about when I began helping business owners. Okay, talk about that for a minute, Dave. You had a great career working for a, a big, well-respected consulting company, and yet you decided to make a dramatic change. Sure, sure. I was working with big companies, helping them with business strategy and human capital strategy, basically helping them provide better value to their customers through their people, their employees. Then some friends, some small business owners, friends of mine, began asking me for advice about a business they were running. They took that advice and immediately put it into action, and it worked. In fact, it worked really well. So they came back to me a couple of weeks later and asked for some more ideas. They then took those ideas, implemented them, and they worked too. Hmm. Then they started telling their friends about me, and their friends came around, and we started having informal discussion groups. Before I knew it, we'd have 10 entrepreneurs sitting around my living room almost every Saturday talking about business strategy, sales, and marketing. People would just tell stories about their success and they would ask for advice. I began to teach a different topic and the group would give each other ideas and it was powerful, simple and powerful. I loved it. It made me feel good about what I was doing because I could see the results almost immediately. So that's where the R, as in rewarding, comes from in the free business model. Wow. So it was a natural evolution then. Yeah, absolutely. I, I wish I could say it was brilliant inspiration, but it was something that evolved over time. Helping people with their business was rewarding to me, and that's where the R comes from. And what about easy? You hear people all the time say nothing ever comes easy or that you shouldn't trust things that came easy. How does easy fit into the mix? Yeah, that's a good point. You see, I think easy gets a real bad rap. Good businesses are indeed easy for the owner. Keep in mind that you have to make your business easy. It, it doesn't just happen. Now, easy means putting systems in place to make your business work for you instead of you working for it. And I teach that to all my clients. So an attorney, for example, will teach an attorney to develop a set of marketing systems to help automate his outreach to new clients. We can get into some detail about that. And I do want to talk about that, Dave, but first, let's get back to the last E in free. Sure. The last E is for engaging. That means that it magnetically attracts others, both employees, people who want to work with you, and clients, people who pay for your services. It's almost a magnetic attraction, something special that draws people in. So engaging means that it naturally attracts people as if it had a huge electromagnet just pulling people in. Perfect. That is very, very clear. Now, you've made mention of clients and attorneys a few times. You work primarily with people in professional services, correct? Yes, yeah, that's right. So that means you work with lawyers, CPAs, doctors, those types of folks? Yes, I, I work with people who are experts in a focused, specific field, people who essentially provide advice for a living. I have clients who are attorneys, accountants, doctors, veterinarians, real estate brokers, architects, appraisers, management consultants, all kinds of professionals who essentially sell their advice and their expertise. So you truly are a consultant to the consultants. Yeah, you could say that, sure. So how did you get into this business? How do you become the go-to guy for people who give advice for a living? 
you didn't just jump into this from being that bellman at the hotel, did you? Oh, no, no. I, I had several other roles where I built big businesses. I, I really worked my way up from being that bellman in a hotel into several management positions with the Marriott organization. I mean, I did everything along the way. I cooked, I washed dishes, I became a housekeeping manager, then a restaurant manager. I really held a number of management jobs until I finally became a general manager, and that, that's the person who runs the hotel. After I joined a different hotel company and ran several hotels for them, I also learned to do feasibility studies and write business plans and marketing plans. Then I headed up a team that would write those business plans and manage the implementation of the plans. And that's kind of an internal consulting job, right? Exactly. That was my first exposure to taking something that was not running correctly and making it better, more effective. And there was also a teaching component to that as well, because we would then teach the hotel general managers how to fix their businesses and manage the implementation of the plan that we helped them develop. After that, I went back to Marriott and I led the startup of a new business for that company. And that was a total internal consulting job. In that role, I developed the practice of walking around and taking note of things that people were doing right at work. I would hold training sessions where we would teach everybody in the organization the best practices that we had learned from each of the individual departments. So we would share things that were working in sales with the people in the operations department and vice versa. Not activity specific things, mind you. Now, we would share workflow types of things like, for example, having 15 minute meetings in the hallway to talk about the goals for the team for the day or focusing on one basic sales tip each morning to keep reminding the group about the fundamentals. This evolved into visiting other businesses, both inside and outside of our industry. And we learned what they were doing right, and this was a real eye-opener. We quickly learned how to apply the success from other industries in our business. Hmm. Can you give us an example? Sure, sure. I led the startup of Marriott's corporate housing business. We provided furnished apartments for executives in New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut. We would also provide housekeeping and maintenance service for these apartments. Cleaning involved changing the linen each week, and in New York City in particular, most of the apartments don't have a washer and dryer inside the buildings. We also needed to repair and replace housewares and appliances, for example, a toaster or knives or forks and so on. So the dilemma was, how do we deliver these items and the linen in an effective and cost-efficient manner? So we studied businesses with extraordinary distribution systems. We wound up modeling a distribution system from the beverage industry, and it worked phenomenally well for us. So how did that get you to a job as a high-profile consultant? Well, that business, the corporate housing business I just described, went from a startup to $50 million in annual revenue in just under three years. Mm. And it also had an amazing 40% profit margin, all because we applied the principle of best practice replication to every area of our business. We never reinvented the wheel. We looked for similar issues in other businesses, and we tweaked the solutions those businesses applied and made them work for us. After a while, people from all over the company were coming to my team for advice. We became internal consultants once again, and it was because of our success. So it was a natural transition for me to take on a leadership role in a consulting business. I already knew how to identify and record good ideas, and that's what best practice replication is. And I knew how to lead a startup. So Gallup came to me and they asked me to start a new business for them. And you were a partner with the Gallup organization. And that's the polling company, right? Yes, they're the world-renowned polling company. I was managing partner for the organizational effectiveness practice, and that's the consulting business that helps companies make more money by improving their sales, their marketing, and the development of their people. Huh, and you started that business 
almost from scratch and helped build it up into a huge business. How big was it, Dave? Well, I started in New York and worked with a fantastic team, and we developed over $150 million in consulting revenue. Wow. Then a funny thing happened. As I said, I started working on a volunteer basis with entrepreneurs. I would have a group of folks come over my home and sit around my living room, and I would teach a topic, and they would brainstorm about different ways to build their business better, faster, and easier. Then, all of a sudden, people started offering me money to help them with their businesses. I kept saying no because I didn't think of it as a job. I really enjoyed it, and it was working. After a couple of years of doing this as a hobby, I thought that if I really focused on it, I could probably help a lot of people and make some money doing it. Well, not just that. I mean, you have won all kinds of awards. You were on the Today Show. You were in newspapers and magazines. You're a real big shot, Dave. Uh, if you say so. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> now, it is important that people understand the caliber of consultant that you are because you're going to be giving them some great advice in a minute, and they need to take it seriously. Okay, you were in Crane's New York business as a rising star to watch. You were the top consultant at Gallup for something like five years. You've been on the Today Show and in the New York Times. You've written a couple of books on business strategy. And uh, you're generally booked how far in advance now? Uh, for my client work, people that, uh, that I work with one-on-one, -on -one, I'm booked up about six months in advance. But that doesn't mean that folks can't join one of my groups or work with someone from my team. But my one-on-one -on -one time is generally booked about six months out. And how do you decide who you will work with? Do you work with anyone who calls you? No, no, not at all. For my private clients, we have a waiting list. Is that the only way people can work with you? If attorneys, CPAs, consultants, or other professionals call my office, we'll help them immediately through one of our coaching programs or with one of our membership programs. Some of those may have some spots available, and they get to work with a member of our team in a group setting. We produce phenomenal results, and one of the reasons we do is because we're so selective. That's a little secret strategy for people listening. If you want to produce great results, work with great clients. Mm. Part of our business is to help our clients understand what a great client looks like for them. That is excellent. I want to get into that with you and hopefully have you reveal some more secrets. But first, why don't we get back to the concept of a free business versus a fake business? Tell us about that. Okay, great. First, let me clarify something for many professionals who may be listening to this interview. If you're an attorney, a CPA, a chiropractor, a consultant, a therapist, whatever, anyone who is in professional services, keep in mind that you're in a business too. In case I don't say your practice or your firm, keep in mind that the thoughts I outline should pertain to you as well. In fact, most of them were developed in businesses just like yours, high-profile, professional service businesses. Right. Don't get hung up on the verbiage. Well, actually, I, I do want them to get hung up on the verbiage. I want them to be thinking like a business owner and not like an attorney or a CPA or an architect. Yeah. The first rule of business is to make money. If you don't make money, bad things happen. So everyone listening who's in professional services... Follow rule number one. You're in this to make money. Therefore, you have a business. A business consists of a series of systems, processes, and people that create value for clients. If you're an attorney, that should be your mission in, in your practice, really. Create value for your clients. An attorney sometimes creates value by solving a problem or getting someone out of trouble. Regardless of the situation, that is still value creation. Great point. So everyone, regardless of whether or not they're an attorney or they own a store, they're in the business of value creation. 
Correct. If you don't create value, then you have a fake business. And how do people know if they have a fake business? Well, let me tell you, a fake business is frustrating, annoying, killer, and exhausting. It's frustrating because you can't seem to break through the next level. It's annoying because going to work really bothers you. It's killer because your business is literally taking years off of your life. It's exhausting because you're tired all the time. It just drains you physically and emotionally. Think about it. Those people we talked about, the fat guy who drinks too much coffee and never sees his family, he has a fake business. My mission is to help fake businesses become free businesses. My team and I do this by rearranging things that already exist in your work environment. Is this realistic, creating this this free business? Do people actually do it? Yes, it's completely possible, and I'm living proof. I was killing myself, and now I have a business that provides me with exactly what I want out of life, and I've worked on developing systems that are replicable. My clients use them to build their businesses in a way that enables their lifestyle. If you're a professional services provider and you want to develop this kind of business, you just need to follow the system that I outline, and it will help you to receive similar results. Now, this is a technique called modeling. If you want the same outcome as someone else, you need to model their behavior. So the question is not, is this possible, or even can I learn to build a practice like this, a lifestyle practice? The question really is, do I want to learn how to build a lifestyle business? Or do I want to learn how to convert my practice into a lifestyle business? Great. So how do your clients learn to build these businesses? Well, there's three ways to learn something. The first way to learn something is through the school of hard knocks. This means you basically learn on your own. You go out and you get bloodied in the business world. And this is the way most of us learn a lot of things. You can call it trial and error. You can call it learning through personal experience. I just call it plain old painful. (laughs) It's just a really tough way to learn and it kind of turns people off on trying new things. Every time we try something new and we get beat up by our clients or we lose some money, we're embarrassed. And for most people, that makes it a little harder to try something the next time. So this is a very, very tough way to learn. The second way to learn is through the experiences of others. You can read books or listen to audio programs. You can go to school or get a business coach or hire a consultant. Now, this is a great way to learn. Learning from other people, whether in person or through reading or listening to an audio program, is great because it speeds up the process of trial and error and it removes some of the pain. People like me have taken all of the arrows in our back so you don't have to. (laughs) You can learn from the pain of my experience and then you can almost immediately apply some of the things you learned and have the benefit in your business almost immediately. Getting practical education that you can use immediately is incredibly valuable. The third way to learn is to teach other people what you know. This is my favorite way to learn because it reinforces the things you've learned over the years while you help someone else. Today, there are hundreds of people who are out there trying to teach people what to do. Some of them are great and some of them aren't. I found that the best way to learn is probably a mix of the last two ways. So when you're looking for someone to help you with your business, you need to find someone who has the knowledge and experience in the specific area where you need assistance. And then you need to make sure that they can teach the things that they've learned. All of us know really smart, successful people who could never teach the skills that they mastered because they haven't developed a system for people to follow. 
They do what they do naturally, but they couldn't help you replicate that success in your practice or business. Or maybe they don't want to teach you how to do it. Well, that's a great point. Many people don't want to teach others their secrets or their shortcuts, sometimes because they feel that this will in some way diminish their success. I've actually found that the opposite is true. The more people you help, the better life becomes. I once heard someone say that whatever you give comes back to you tenfold. I believe that this is true, and sometimes you get back way more than 10 times what you've given. Hmm. If someone's out there and they're wondering, like you said, is this right for me, what would you say to them? Well, there are roadmaps that are out there to help you succeed. If you want to know what direction to go in in order to get somewhere, you really need to follow a roadmap. One of the best roadmaps to start with is a book that was written years and years ago by a man named Napoleon Hill. The title is Think and Grow Rich, and it's a great book. Napoleon Hill was a guy who studied the most successful people in the world, and he did it over the course of 20 years. He identified 16 different characteristics that were common to the over 500 people he studied. There are five that are critically important. Now, with all my education, and believe me, I'm overeducated, <laughs> if I had just learned and absorbed and understood these five critical characteristics, I would have accelerated my career like you would not believe. These five characteristics are things that I could never have learned in school, but they would have greatly saved me from the school of hard knocks. And they're incredibly valuable to people in professional services, especially that lawyer or that CPA who is thinking that they're working dozens and dozens of hours and they just can't seem to balance their life. So here's a great starting point for your roadmap. Here are the five characteristics, successful business people, and again, this is Napoleon Hill and the most successful people in the world, not Dave Lorenzo. Here are those five characteristics that these successful business people all have in common. Number one, an individual has to have a burning desire to be successful. You've got to really want to make a difference to your clients. You have to believe that deep down in your gut, you can help people make a difference in their business. If you have this belief and you share your skills, your knowledge, your talent with your clients, it really shows. That passion and desire really comes through. It will also serve as motivation and it'll help keep you going during the really tough times. So number one is a burning desire. The second key characteristic on your roadmap to success is having specialized knowledge. Now, although professionals, doctors, attorneys, accountants, all have specialized knowledge in their field, they also need specialized knowledge in marketing and business development in order to draw clients into their practice. They need specialized knowledge on how to build systems to set their practice up for success. They need specialized knowledge in business strategy in order to deploy their resources toward a weak spot in the market. So there are numerous areas, quite a few, other than their field of education, where these people need additional specialized knowledge. See, most of us start out as technicians in our field. An attorney knows the law, a CPA knows the tax code, a veterinarian knows his or her way around a horse, but they don't necessarily have the specialized knowledge that is required to convince people to use their services. The third characteristic is that successful people are decisive. When I read Napoleon Hill, this really sings out to me. You really need to be decisive. You have to make correct decisions and you have to do it in a way that inspires confidence in yourself 
and in the people around you. You know, you can recover from almost any mistake that you make in your business. I, I mean, just look at all the successful people who have at one time or another fallen on difficult times because of a business decision. If you have the will, you can almost recover from any bad decision. However, you may never ever be able to recapture an opportunity that presents itself if you don't make a decision at all. Great opportunities, golden opportunities, only come along so often, and you need to be decisive and take advantage of them. Napoleon Hill found that decisiveness was a key quality in successful people, and I could not agree with him more. It's just absolutely essential. The fourth quality on your roadmap to success is goal setting. The most successful people in the world have goals and they review them each and every day. Again, I can't stress this point enough either. You must absolutely know where you want to go and the goals are your destination. And finally, you need to have a mastermind group. This is critically important. You have to have a group of folks that you can sit down with and bounce ideas off of. You have to belong to a group of like-minded people who know and understand what you are going through and who can help you achieve your goals and your dreams. It's funny, but this last one also really resonates with me because when I started my own practice, I had those clients who would come over and hang around the house in an informal group, and they said that that was almost as powerful as the teaching portion of the lesson. So as our business has grown over the years, we included that concept into all of our coaching and consulting. Every one of our clients can participate in a mastermind group made up of other clients. Now, keep in mind that I'm not talking about one of those early morning leads clubs or referral organizations. They have their place and they're valuable to some folks. What I am talking about is a true group of people who are in a similar situation, professionals who are looking to grow their business beyond its current size. So when people get to the point where they feel like they're at a crossroads and they're not sure which way to go, I simply review these five characteristics with them, this roadmap, and it comes from the 500 most successful people in the world that Napoleon Hill studied. I look at them and then I ask them one critical question. I say to them, are you willing to adopt and use these five characteristics in your everyday business? That's the key. None of those successful people were born with these qualities. They learned them, and most of them learned those qualities over time. If you're willing to learn and grow, then there's always hope. Mm, sounds good. So how do I build a free business? Let's say I'm an attorney, and I'm working 60 hours a week. Or I'm an accountant, and I'm killing myself during tax season. There's only one of me, and there's only so many hours in the day. How do I build the free business that you're talking about? Well, let's start by talking a little bit about business strategy for a professional services firm. And let's use a law firm as an example. One of the first things I do with my clients is I ask them to divide their work activities into three segments. So what we do is we take a sheet of paper and we divide it into thirds. You can fold it into three pieces or you can draw two lines about a quarter of the way in from either edge of the page. The goal is to have three columns on your sheet of paper. At the top of the first column, we put the title Operations. At the top of the middle column, we put the title Administration. And then at the top of the third column, we put the title Business Development. We're going to write down all of the activities that they perform in their practice in each of these areas. And we're going to put them under one of these headings. So let me give you some examples. Here are some of the kinds of activities that go under each heading. 
operations activities are the things that you do as part of your job. So as an attorney, this would be the actual practice of law. Writing contracts, researching cases, interviewing clients, speaking with opposing counsel, drafting documents, all of the things you think makes up your entire job. Administrative activities are the activities that are necessary for you to run the office. This means everything from typing forms to paying bills to making travel arrangements, juggling appointments on your calendar, and those types of things. Basically all the day-to-day -day stuff that's necessary to make the office run. The third column, and this is the really interesting one, are business development activities. Now, business development activities are essentially sales and marketing activities. These are the things you do to obtain new clients or deepen your relationship with existing clients. So what we do is we write down the current status of their practice. I have them take a week and just write down each activity they perform and put it in one of those columns. When we review this sheet of paper, something amazing happens. What we find in most cases is that 80% of their activities are split between administration and operations. Hmm. In newer practices, the activities are heavily weighted toward administration. A new attorney will spend time Googling businesses on the internet and calling it research. They will take two hours to format a presentation to the Rotary Club. They'll spend a good deal of time crafting the content for their website, and they'll call this marketing. In more mature practices, we find that attorneys will spend a lot of time going deep into issues that may not necessarily need to be explored. And he does all this under the guise of working on the client's case. So this is really called an operations activity. But, but wait a minute. Now, shouldn't the attorney go deep into the case? Well, here's the thing. If you're billing by the hour, the more time you spend on the project, the more you can charge. But that's not necessarily in the best interest of the client. The client wants his problem solved. The client just wants the issue to go away. Or they want to understand the risk involved in their situation. They don't care how many hours it takes. If you bill by the hour, you need to pile up those hours in order to make good money. My attorneys don't bill that way. I call that boiling the ocean. Boiling the ocean? What? <laughs> yes, digging deeper than is necessary. My attorneys and CPAs don't boil the ocean. They solve the problem as efficiently and effectively as possible because they charge by the project. They create value for their clients, and that value is worth something. This is what the client is paying for. They're not paying for the hours, but they're paying for the value that that relationship has created. Oh, okay. So what they're not doing now with their marketing is they aren't getting people interested in finding out how they, the attorney, can solve the client's problem. And that's what business development is all about. The client must feel that you are the best person to solve his problem. So we have three areas that the attorney can work on throughout the course of his day. Business development, operations, and administration. Most attorneys think that their job is all about the operations aspect. And that's the aspect of doing the work. It's the law. It's why they went to college. It's why they got their law degree. Now, if you're an attorney in a bigger practice or on a legal team, this may absolutely be true. You may be required to only work on cases and pile up the hours. But if you're in your own business, if you're an independent attorney in your own practice, or if you're a partner or you want to be a partner in a larger firm, you better know how to originate work. This means you better know how to create new client relationships and you better know how to deepen those relationships over time. This is an absolutely critical component to building a profitable practice, which, after all, is a business. I would argue that an attorney who's an outstanding marketer and a mediocre lawyer 
will always be more financially successful than a great attorney who doesn't develop business and focus on building relationships. Now, let me say that one more time because I think it's a particularly powerful point. An attorney that's an outstanding marketer and a mediocre lawyer will be more financially successful than a great attorney who doesn't develop business well. I've seen it time and time again. So you're saying spend more time then on business development than on the other two areas, correct? Absolutely. What we do is we look at what the attorney puts in those three columns and we gradually eliminate as much as possible from the operations and administration columns. And how do your clients, those attorneys, react to that? Well, at first, there's violent resistance. They really hate it, and many of them can't do it. They really don't survive this exercise. <laughs> what do you mean? Really? <laughs> well, they, they don't pass away. They, they decide that the work is too hard and that they don't want to do it. See, it's really easy and comfortable to keep your head down and just count the hours you're working and then mail a bill to the client. Everyone who has a law degree and is admitted to the bar can do that. All CPAs can do that. Building relationships is difficult, especially if you don't know how to do it. And you teach them how to do it. I do. And it's not difficult at all once we get over the initial suspense of the current paradigm. In other words, once we get it through their heads that the attorney or the independent professional is there to create value. And once that attorney understands the concept of value creation and buys into it, their work starts to get better. So how do our listeners then get into that mindset? Well, they really need to do three things. The first thing they need to do is take a look at their work from the client's perspective. What is really important to the client? The client doesn't really care about time on the engagement. They only care about the outcome. You know how it is. Don't tell me about the labor pains. Just show me the baby. <laughs> they also care that you return their calls in a timely fashion, and they care that they're not nickeled and dimed. They also care that you treat them like an intelligent human being and not like they're stupid. In other words, your clients want to be treated like they are important and they want to have a professional relationship with you. They want you to solve their problem. This creates value. Think about it from the client's perspective. Next, our listeners need to assess their current situation. If you're not spending at least one-third of your time creating and deepening relationships, that's one-third of your time at a minimum. And the best, I have to tell you, spend much, much more than that. If you're not spending at least one-third of your time finding and building those relationships, you are going to be in big, big trouble. So look at your time right now and see where you need to make adjustments. Finally, the listener needs to decide to make a change in the way they run their business. Remember Napoleon Hill. He said you have to be goal-oriented, you have to have specialized knowledge, and he also said that you need to be a part of a mastermind group. All of these things are things that we can help you with, but the last two you're going to have to bring to the process on your own. You have to bring that burning desire to be successful, and you have to want to be successful on your own terms without killing yourself and you must be decisive you need to decide to make a change in the way you approach your practice thanks for joining me folks if you'd like help building your professional practice please reach out to me at 888-444-5150 that's 
444-5150. I want to help you grow your practice in a way that enables you to make the kind of money you deserve and get home on time for dinner every night. Take care.